Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Before we begin, a warning. Today's episode contains graphic descriptions of violence and references to suicide. In 1996, in the small town of Wilmslow in Cheshire, an elderly couple were found dead in their bedroom. To the authorities, it looked like a murder-suicide, the husband killing his wife horribly violently and then taking his own life. Three years later, in 1999, the exact same thing happened again, in the same town. But despite the similarities, no one linked the deaths. Well, almost no one. So it might have been cases closed, except that when two coroner's officers began to piece together the evidence, the pattern it seemed to reveal suggested another possibility. A third-party serial killer. This one day, Christine opens the door and says, do you want to come in here, Stephanie? I've got something I want to show you. The Sunday Times investigative reporter David Collins has been following the story and has now written a book about the case. The feeling was that the person who killed her hated her. There was a hatred involved in a crime like that. It was sadistic. You're listening to Stories of Our Times from The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm David Aronovich. Today, The Hunt for the Silver Killer, Part 1, Murder-Suicides. So my name is David Collins. I'm the Northern Editor for the Sunday Times. I'm an investigative reporter and I've been investigating a series of murder-suicides which happened in Cheshire in the mid-90s and late-90s. The story begins on one spring day back in 1996 in Wilmslow, Cheshire, a prosperous town not far from Manchester where a couple called the Ainsworths lived. So it was a Saturday afternoon. The neighbours last saw Howard Ainsworth, who was mowing his lawn, chatting away, speaking to a neighbour called Margaret Farrar. And Howard was in a good mood, but he said that his wife, B Ainsworth, uh, was ill, that she had a tummy bug, she was vomiting, and he was having to look after her. That is the last time anybody saw Howard alive, or B for that matter. 
The next day on the Sunday, the same neighbour, Margaret, woke up, went outside the house. The curtains were drawn of the Ainsworths, who lived in a really nice kind of big semi-detached Victorian house in Wilmslow, really affluent area. But the curtains were drawn, there was nobody about, and this got to about half 11, 12 o'clock, and the curtains were still drawn. This is really unusual for Howard and B. Ainsworth. Margaret, she's lived next to them for 24 years, so she knows something's wrong. She taps on the windows, she knocks on the door, there's no response. So she knocks on the neighbour on the other side, uh, Jacqueline Cummings, and says, look, this is weird, Howard and B aren't up and the curtains are drawn and they're not on holiday. And Jacqueline says, that is strange, maybe we should call the police. So Margaret calls 999 and then two uniformed officers turn up they go into the house with Margaret via the back door, which is unlocked. There's nothing undisturbed, nothing looks unusual. Then they go upstairs, they leave Margaret downstairs as the police officers are walking upstairs. They go into the main bedroom and there in the bed, in the marital bed, is Howard and B. Ainsworth and they're both dead. If you're at the foot of the bed, facing it, B's on the right. She is covered in blood. The sheets are covered in blood. And she has the handle of a kitchen knife sticking out of her forehead. And next to her is Howard, her husband. And he has a bag over his head. They find a hammer in the bedroom and a note written by Howard apparently a few hours before. They see this site, which is absolutely shocking. They call it in, request assistance. A team of detectives turn up. There's three of them. The main detective, he had a good reputation at the time, his job is to work out what on earth happened. The first thing he does is go into the bedroom and look for clues, which any detective does. And he finds a number of clues The biggest one he finds is the note beside the bed, which was written by Howard, and it's a suicide note. And he's saying that B is ill. She's not been the same. She's vomiting continuously. It looks like our lives have gone. So I'm going to give her sleeping pills and throttle her, and then I'm going to suffocate myself with a bag. Beside from that, another interesting find is a hammer, which they find in the sink. This is another hammer to the one that found in the bedroom. So this second hammer is found in the sink. It's been washed down and they find euthanasia literature in the house. They quickly kind of realise that Howard and B have an interest in euthanasia. And combined with the suicide note, they begin at a very early stage, to form a narrative that Howard is the murderer, that he has killed his wife, B for reasons which aren't really clear and never really have been. And then he's decided to take his own life. And that is what they found 
in Wilmslow on a spring day in 1996. And it seems fairly straightforward to them from uh, from that point of view. He's told the neighbours that she was ill. The note says that she was ill. It's not totally clear why just having a, a vomiting virus might make you an end-of-life case. There's the stuff about euthanasia. Now, how old were the Ainsworths at this point? And what kind of couple were they? Howard is 79 and B is uh, 78. They've been married for about 50 years. Described by friends and families, extremely devoted to one another. Howard fought in World War II. He fought against the, the Japanese in, in Burma. He's quite a big chap, tall and lumbering. He used to work as a parks gardener for the Manchester Corporation. And he retired B worked for a little bit longer. She worked for a local funeral parlour. She wanted to retire to spend more time with Howard. So that's the sort of couple they were. They were very devoted to one another. They'd often go to the Lake District. Howard would drive up and they'd spend, you know, the weekend there going on walks, sometimes with their friends. Wilmslow is, it is a town, but it's a very small town. And it's a quite a tight-knit community. People know each other in Wilmslow. And people certainly knew Howard and B quite well. Now, the police, as you've described, have a clear theory from very early on about what's happened here, motivated significantly by the suicide note, which has apparently been left. But of course... The case then has to go to a coroner, doesn't it, to establish and give a cause of death. Tell us about the coroner who this goes to. The coroner's officer for this case was called Christine Hurst. Basically, a coroner's officer works underneath the coroner in an investigative role, gathering together information and reports to then inform the coroner on whether or not to have an inquest. It's different in every area across the UK. But in Cheshire, the coroner's officers are employed by the police. And she worked in Macclesfield Police Station. And she was given the case file and straight away identified a number of weaknesses, several things that for her stuck out as red flags. There is the suicide note and there's a belief in euthanasia. But once you pull that thread very slightly and go beneath the surface, you realise actually how inconclusive and how thin that is. The suicide note, firstly, uh, and it's something the detectives noticed, what Howard said was going to happen and what did happen were two completely different things. Uh, Howard said he was going to give B sleeping tablets and throttler. That is not what happened. Uh, she ended up being hit around the head at least a dozen times with a hammer and then stabbed through the forehead. She has injuries all over her body. And then Howard as well doesn't carry out the method of suicide, he says he's going to do in the note. There were two other things that, as she revealed the file, stood out to Christine Hurst. The position of Howard's body, uh, Christine immediately realises, looks like he's been arranged on the bed. 
after his death. It looks to her like his body has been moved and he didn't have practically a single spot of blood on his pyjamas or anywhere on his body or clothes. Hmm. And immediately Christine questioned, how is that possible? How is somebody who has hammered their wife to death and this this same person has apparently taken a kitchen knife and plunged it into their head. How has that person not got any blood on their clothes? Yeah, and B, Ainsworth's body, is not arranged as you might expect somebody who has been euthanized by a loving husband in desperation. That's right. So B's body is arranged as well in a quite unusual fashion in that she is lying on the bed in a nightie, which has been entirely pulled up to expose her. And that is her final resting position. The biggest thing you'll find with euthanasia believers is that it has to be a dignified death yeah. that you want to be found by your loved ones in an appropriate state. Right. And the way that Howard had apparently left B made absolutely no sense to Christine. Right. So Christine looks at this and she says, apart from the note and apart from the euthanasia material, actually none of this really conforms to what the police are saying. That's right. So Christine at the time, goes to the detectives and she goes to a superintendent who was in charge of the coroner's officers at Macclesfield Police Station. And she raises the, these concerns and she says, this doesn't look right to me. I'd, I'd like there to be more work done on this. But something that really concerned her is that the police had decided what had happened so quickly that they hadn't ordered fingerprints to be carried out on the bag that was found on Howard's head, the hammer that was found in the bedroom and in the sink, and the knife that is found in B. So she wants these items to be tested more forensically and fingerprinted, which they hadn't. So the police, the superintendent agrees, and he asks the investigation team to do more forensics works. A few weeks later, Christine is then informed that the test results which came back that she ordered have been inconclusive. And the reason for that, she says, is that the bag had been handled too many times by officers and people recovering that evidence. Basically, it rendered it evidentially useless and that the weapons also had not provided any useful forensic evidence. And in any case, from what you're suggesting there, the police just weren't inclined to change their minds. It's her belief that they ruled out all of the possibilities. In fact, they came to the conclusion so fast that by the time they did the post-mortem, the house had already been cleaned the bedroom had already been scrubbed clean of any blood. Huh. So within the first few days, they'd made their minds up. They didn't right. have to keep that crime scene in place. They they decided Howard did it, and they had their murderer. 
presumably they convinced Christine's boss. They did convince Christine's boss. There was something else actually in the post-mortem, which is probably important to mention, is that there are injuries to Howard's face that are never explained. And he has injuries to his lips that come up in the post-mortem that are not explained by the suicide method that he used and which Christine thinks is far more indicative of a hand basically clamped around the mouth. And that is something that the pathologist raises in his report. But all the same, the coroner, who is Christine's boss, must presumably accept the police's version in order to go with the adjudication. That's correct. So at the time, the inquest which happened into the death was held by a coroner called John Hibbert. And John was a long-standing coroner, senior coroner for Cheshire. He had a nickname. It was called the Caring Coroner. And he earned that nickname because he liked quick inquests. He didn't like to to put the family through any more than what they had to go through. Right. And that's not saying he wasn't rigorous, but he was known perhaps for slightly faster inquests than what is, you know, what is common. And what conclusion does he come to? What he said was that there was no shred of evidence about why Howard would have done this. It was completely inexplicable. But he did conclude on evidence which is largely steered by the police, is perhaps a weakness in the system in this country. He did conclude that Howard killed his wife and then killed himself. And that was it, effectively. It was case closed. I'm Emma Tucker, editor of The Sunday Times. It's thanks to listeners like you that we're able to provide journalism that matters. Get to the heart of the story every day with The Times and The Sunday Times. Subscribe today and enjoy one month free. Visit thetimes.co.uk forward slash stories of our times. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. 
My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Where were we? Christine Hurst has had her misgivings about the Ainsworth deaths back in 1996, but to no avail. It's case closed. Three years go by, and now it's 1999, and, well, I'll let David pick up the story. So Christine, by this time, has been promoted to be the senior coroner's officer for Cheshire Police. And she turns up to the the hospital one day and uh, she's in the mortuary. And Dave Bourne, the mortuary technician, pulls out a tray of bodies. And she's actually doing an identification on somebody else. Um, so she's there for another reason that day but then she can see it's a really violent death and she knows it will be one of her cases that's coming up so she asks Dave Bourne what is that case and who is that and Dave Bourne tells her that it's a murder-suicide and she asks where did this happen and then Dave Bourne says in Wilmslow And her immediate reaction is, you're joking. And the reason she says that is because the injuries are so identical to those of B. And she's never forgotten B, the case of B Ainsworth and, and Howard. And a couple of days later, she gets out the Ainsworth file and compares the two and realizes just how similar they are. Another elderly couple. Huh. And this is Donald and Oriel Ward. In this case, it's exactly the same. The injuries to Oriel are practically identical to the injuries against B. It was exactly the same blunt force trauma and sharp force trauma. Even the way they were arranged on the bed was the same. Oriel was arranged in a certain way. Her nighty again, exactly the same as B's nighty, had been tugged up to expose her. And once again police in Cheshire had another murder-suicide of an elderly couple on their hands. But this time, they initially believed there was a killer on the loose. So they treated that in a completely different way, largely because of the injuries that Donald Ward had sustained on his hands, which looked like somebody holding their hands up to protect themselves from someone armed with a knife. The Ward's case was a big, it was a big murder inquiry at the time. And they did put a lot of resource into it because they believed there was a killer on the loose for a long time. But when they didn't find any evidence of a third party in the house, they started to steer the investigation towards Donald being the killer. Uh, They started to read into the negative and the negative was, we can't find any evidence of somebody in the house. Um, therefore, they start to look at what could the other answer be. Well, the other answer could yeah. be that Donald is the killer. 
despite the fact that they may be out of character and so on, but nevertheless, who really knows what happens in a house between couples, etc. And anyway, it's usually the husband that does it. Precisely. And I think that is a valid point. I think, you know, in relationships, um, it is entirely possible and it has happened. And of course, it has in the history of mankind where a husband has not committed violence on his wife and they're happily married and then something snaps and then they do kill. You know, that can happen. Absolutely. That is the way the investigation began to go. I mean, did the coroner in this case go along with the Cheshire police thinking that it's probably another murder-suicide. It was a different coroner who heard. By this time, Mr Hibbert had retired, and a coroner called Nicholas Reinberg was the senior coroner for Cheshire, and he concluded that whilst there was not a shred of evidence to suggest why Donald would have done this to Oriel, and it is utterly inexplicable. He concluded that, once again, it was a murder-suicide and that Donald had killed his wife and killed himself. Right. OK, so we have Christine Hurst again, who's convinced that something's been going on. And does she have any notion, or does anyone have any notion at this stage, if it is somebody else, what kind of a person it could be? So at this stage, the instant thought that, Christine had and seeing both scenes was that the work of a psychopath quite frankly the interesting thing about both killings is that the woman it is not a functional killing it is not a killing where the purpose has been simply to end their life because there's something that investigators use the term overkill an overkill is when there are far more wounds inflicted on that person than is required to kill them. And that is what both B. Ainsworth and Oriel Ward went through. Oriel was stabbed in the neck more than a dozen times. She was beaten. She was strangled. The feeling was that the person who killed her hated her. There was a hatred involved in a crime like that. It was sadistic. So Christine Hurst thinks this is essentially some kind of psychopath and not only that but presumably has done has now done this more than once so is also a serial killer she certainly at that point believes that they're both linked in the absence of anything else they've drawn this conclusion christine hurst believes very strongly that's not the conclusion we're in the late 90s and what happens then so after that very little happens for a long time the files on the Ainsworths and the wards, they stay in the coroner's office. Nobody's working on them. The, case, the cases have been closed. The files are sitting in the coroner's office in, this, in the, a box of special interest for 17 years collecting dust. Nothing happened. And really, those crimes, they become a bit... It's almost canteen gossip inside Macclesfield Police Station. The idea that that this offender exists and could he be out there something that coroner's officers would chat about during lunch breaks and you know it, it hangs around as this big question mark almost like a, an urban myth you know the police got it wrong but the coroner's officers weren't listened to therefore <laughs> uh, nothing happens so it's almost like a kind of folk tale that they've got going round that is told within Macclesfield Police Station. 
And then the coroner's office for Cheshire hires uh, a young investigator called Stephanie Davis. So Stephanie is a new breed, if you like, of commoners officer. She has degrees in forensics. She has professional qualifications in crime scene investigation. She has a level of expertise that she brings to the team, which Christine hasn't had on her staff before. Christine and Stephanie are in the office one day. By this point, their office has been moved from Macclesfield Police Station to Warrington Town Hall, and the coroner has his office. And in Warrington Town Hall, in their office one day, Christine opens the door and says, do you want to come in here, Stephanie? I've got something I want to show you. And <laughs> on her desk are the files from a special interest box of the Ainsworth's case and the Ward's case. And... Christine says, I've never never been happy with these cases. I'd be interested to know what you think. But soon, Stephanie Davis, after taking a fresh look at the case, finds the police have turned their attention to her. So she became the focus of an investigation. It was into Steph herself. And then more murder-suicides with startling similarities are found in the northwest of England. That's all in part two of The Hunt for the Silver Killer tomorrow. During the making of this podcast, we approached Cheshire Police and asked them whether they will be re-looking at these cases. They told us that in their view there's no evidence to support further investigation into these matters, that they have maintained a close contact with the families involved during this process and their thoughts remain with them. You've been listening to Stories of Our Times, a podcast brought to you thanks to subscribers of The Times and The Sunday Times with me, David Aronovich, and my guest, David Collins, the Northern Editor of The Sunday Times. You can find a link to David's new book, Hunt for the Silver Killer, in the description notes of this podcast. The producers were Oliver Adamson and Will Rowe. The executive producer is Kate Ford, and sound design was by David Crackles. If you enjoyed what you just heard, leave us a review and maybe a five-star rating. It helps others find the podcast. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.